Welcome to Transition Talk, a podcast series by Accenture where it's all about our energy needs in the future. In this episode, we discuss system inertia, a major technical challenge in the path towards a world without fossil fuels. But what exactly is system inertia? In which parts of the world do we already face problems with this? And it's the million dollar question, how do we keep the system stable and reliable? My name is Maria Punch. My guests are joining me remotely for this episode. Mark Barrett, the co-founder of Reactive Technologies. Fintan Sly, CEO of the British system operator National Grid. And Gregario Ogliaro, global lead for transmission and distribution of Accenture. A warm welcome to you all. Everyone wants reliable power. And one reason why today's grid is so reliable is its inertia, which basically helps the whole system keep running, even when a power plant fails. But the grid is evolving to include ever higher levels of solar and wind, which don't provide inertia. Should we all panic? So let's start off. Um, System inertia, perhaps not everybody knows this term. So I would like you, all three of you, to give me like a short, crisp uh, definition. And Mark, I would like to start with you. Thank you. Um, System inertia is really the uh, stability of the entire grid. Um, It's created from large spinning generators, spinning at the same time, at the same frequency, which gives the grid a level of stability to cope with a sudden change on the grid. If a power station develops a technical fault or if there's a sudden surge in demand, it basically helps keep the frequency stable, which is obviously something to, uh, to ensure at all times if you're a system operator. Yeah, we'll discuss that further in this episode. Um, Fintan, in your own words? Uh, I'd, I'd agree with Mark's definition. I mean, maybe the only thing I'd add is that I think it's, it's the glue that holds the system together, that enables it to withstand uh, changes in supply and demand or shocks that happen to it and still remain stable. So it's the glue that holds it together. That's a nice metaphor. Uh, would you like to add, Gregorio? Yes, maybe I would like... Uh Let's say to add something for me, when I try to explain inertia to other people not in the sector, I'm trying to say that if you have power generation fueled by conventional generation, it is going to provide a good inertia. So let's say stable frequency to the grid and to have stable frequency is the key for a sister operator, no? So 50 Hertz in Europe. With a lot of renewable in the system, is more difficult to get this 50 Hertz stable. So you have a reduction in terms of inertia, so there is a rate of frequency change, and this, let's say, entail with the grid stability. Right. So, um, Mark, I think for some people, this this term uh, system inertia is fairly new on the horizon. Is that also because we didn't have to worry about it so much in previous years? Exactly. So um, it's it's one of these phenomena which uh, effectively came for free, um, pretty much as, as Gregorio said with the conventional generation. Um, the way those uh, electrons were produced was from these big spinning turbines and those were effectively, as Finton said, the glue that kept everything stable. Um, but also to build on what Gregorio was saying, 
in the energy transition, uh, those large um, thermal generation or fossil generation is often being displaced. Uh, so that's being removed from the power system and the thing that's replacing it is uh, typically much smaller intermittent generation uh, like solar, like wind, that responds to the weather. And because they produce um, energy in a different way, um, it, they don't provide the same stabilizing uh, phenomena as the conventional generation, which does mean that it becomes more of a relevant topic as we look ahead to how the um, energy industry will transition to be much more zero or, or, or low carbon. So, without getting too technical, um, Gregorio, could you explain a little bit about how the traditional uh, energy grid works based still on fossil energy? Yeah, the traditional grid work, let's say, is a, a single flow from power generation to the final customer. So, power generation, transmission, distribution, final customer. I try to simplify a bit uh, with a lot of, uh, let's say, renewable into the system. You have uh, more renewable distributed also generated and this is going to create multiple flows in the lines let's say and this is is getting let's say the grids the power grids more difficult to to operate so gregorio you mentioned earlier the 50 hertz it seems like a detail but it's actually a crucial detail isn't it yeah because uh, to keep uh, the light on you need to have a power system running with a stable frequency this frequency in europe is 50 hertz okay so with less inertia into the system, you can reduce this, uh, let's say, frequency. So you can go to 49.8, 49.7, and this can create an issue in terms of grid stability. So the bottom line is that you can have a blackout in the system. And that's the doom scenario that nobody wants to face, but we have to look Absolutely. that in the that eye. Yeah, the extreme scenario. Extreme scenario, right. Um, Fintan, I'd like to bring you in the conversation. We're in the middle of an energy transition, moving towards more green power from sun and wind. Now, you as a system operator, do you see problems arising around uh, inertia? So I think as we uh, look to decarbonize energy systems, and this applies around the world, and you get more and more renewable generation on and because of you know as mark was talking about the specific characteristics of that generation it does not provide inertia and therefore it is displacing some of that older fossil fuel generation that that gregorio was talking about that does provide inertia so we see as you uh, increase the levels of renewable generation on the system the inherent level of inertia on the system starts to drop and back to, you know, as I described it at the start, that is the glue that holds the system together. So as you build out more and more uh, wind and solar on your system, you, the, the inertia levels start to drop. And therefore, because it is that glue that holds it together, it's really important that you don't let it drop to such a level that it starts to impact on system security. And that's why a, it's really important to understand what is the level of inertia on the system. So in the past, system operators didn't have to worry about this. There was loads of inertia. It was all provided by conventional plans. But as we go through this transition, we now need to understand, well, how much inertia is there there on the system? And as we get more and more renewals, how do we get more inertia on the system without running those conventional power plants? All right. So, um, Mark, was this problem a bit more acute in uh, in the UK from your perspective? 
it, it is, uh, only in the sense that um, I wouldn't say it's more acute, but I would say that in the UK, um, the, the phenomena of reducing inertia has been seen earlier because the UK being an island, it, it doesn't have a lot of other power systems that it is connected to. So in that sense, it sees these kind of issues ahead of other power systems. And in the UK, we have had quite a lot of renewable energy deployed. You know, we've had early stage feed-in tariffs to sort of kickstart the industry. We've now got a lot of wind on the system. We've also got increasing amounts of solar. Solar has actually become a financial investment, you know, so now it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pension funds, it's, it's professional investors who are deploying their funds into solar and wind projects to get returns. So that has really accelerated as the cost of these renewable technologies has declined. And that, those two factors have sort of come together to make the UK a very interesting sort of microcosm of really every power system that is going to go on this renewable energy journey. Yeah. So, Mark, do you see that there is more awareness, do you think, in, in market parties now? Is, that, is this a sort of tipping point? I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, we, we are seeing um, inertia becoming, you know, a bit more of an, a known topic. Um, you know, The Economist has written about it very recently. Um, it, it's, it's been in a number of, obviously, industry uh, uh, press, but, but increasingly it's, it's heading into mainstream press. And it just, I think, serves to highlight that the power system isn't like Lego. You can't just take out the bits that you don't like and swap them with bits that you do like. Ultimately, as Finton said, it's a, f it's a full system. It, it's got to operate together. Um, it's actually closer to a machine than, than really, uh, you know, a plumbing system, which people can often uh, think of it as. You know, everything has got to work synchronously, and that synchronous um, capability keeps everything running, keeps the frequency stable, keeps the lights on, keeps the grid uh, resilient to, to shocks that Finton was, was mentioning. You asked about um, resilience, or sorry, awareness of, of inertia in the system. So I, I think that it certainly has started to become mainstream, not just The Economist writing about it and The New York Times or something as well, but we, we actually placed contracts over the last 12 months of almost a billion pounds just to buy inertia. So previously it used to be sort of an inherent, uh, an inherent part of the system and it was just there as Mark explained earlier. But as we've seen the levels, inherent levels on the system decline, we've actually gone out and bought it and that has, you know, got investors and utilities really interested in how can I provide inertia as a service onto the system. So no megawatts, no energy, just inertia. Help me a bit with this, Finton, uh, to sort of wrap my brain around it. How do I buy inertia? Uh, we've been running uh, a series of procurements called Pathfinder Projects because no one else has done this in the world. So it's really about a learning by, by doing. So we've been out, we're awarding multi-year contracts to technologies that can provide uh, inertia onto the system. And there are different technologies coming forward. So we've tried to do it in a way that's technology agnostic to allow that innovation come through. So you're buying things like um, spinning flywheels, uh, condensers, uh, you can have grid forming inverters, so that's really uh, cool digital uh, technology 
that, that enables batteries uh, and technology like that to provide uh, inertia onto the system. So what we're seeing is various different technologies come forward and provide that inertia onto the system as a service uh, to us over the next while. You're listening to Transition Talk, a podcast series by Accenture about the future of energy. In this episode, it's all about system inertia. My guests are Mark Barrett, he's the co-founder of Reactive Technologies, Pinton Sly, Chief Executive Director, Electricity System Operator of National Grid, and Gregorio Ogliaro, he is Global Lead for Transmission and Distribution of Accenture. We've already discussed the issues of system inertia, now it's time to talk about some of the potential solutions. And Gregorio, I'd like to start with you. Um, I think you see two main directions when it comes to solutions to this problem. Would you talk us through? Yes, absolutely. So the first one I see is the measure. No? You need to understand, as Fintan has much said, what is the level of inertia in the system. So it's a sort of planning phase. And here the key word is measure in real time inertia. Okay, so in the, in the past, uh, we used to measure, let's say, inertia when it's needed in forecasting, let's say, inertia. Uh, but now there is real the need to measure inertia in real time. And the second step, as uh, Fintam just said, is to buy, um, let's say, in the market, uh, let me say, a sort of synthetic inertia um, in a way to address uh, properly um, let's say, this need, so to be able, let's say, to, to, to re-establish the right level of, uh, of frequency in the, into the power system. Right. So, Mark, uh, you've actually developed a solution for measurement. Could you tell us a bit about, about how that tool works? Yes. Uh, so, we, in, in working with, uh, with Finton at National Grid, have, have spent uh, some years developing uh, the world's first capability to measure inertia in real time. Um, the way we've done it is effectively the, like a sonar system. So um, we're not obviously using uh, ultrasonic waves, but we are using a power wave. Um, we, we have an asset. Uh, in this case, in the UK, we have a 5 megawatt uh, ultra capacitor. And we operate that to send a pulse of power into the UK grid. And then we have measurement devices all around the UK grid to see how much that given amount of power has been able to move frequency. And from that, it allows us to take a direct measurement of inertia that we can then provide back to National Grid into the control room to give them that real-time understanding of how stable the system is and hopefully enable you know optimization better decisions more renewables to be used but to be used in a, on a safe basis knowing where the actual operational limits of the grid are at that moment in time or the next four or six hours ahead really so what would you say is then the biggest advantage is to to steer away from even getting close to that sort of doom scenario 
Well, I don't think it's, it's necessarily about avoiding the doom scenario. I think it's more about giving that visibility. So without being able to measure, um, a grid operator still has to work with some understanding of what the stability of the power system is to make the right decisions to maintain the security of supply. If that uh, is only through estimation, then that carries a level of risk, a level of error, which in the control room means you have to make slightly different decisions than if you had real measurement data. And sometimes those decisions can mean that you, know, you have to do things that you may not have to do if you, were, if you had a real measurement to work with. So this way, by measuring, um, hopefully more renewable energy can be used more of the time. And because we are measuring the whole system, we can measure the hidden inertia. So uh, we've talked a lot about um, big generators providing inertia, but actually all in industry um, and, uh, and in utilities like water utilities, there are pumps and motors, conveyor belts, uh, other kind of machines that are all spinning at 50 hertz and those are a hidden source of inertia which if we can actually quantify that and bring it in the control room then that obviously helps the control room adopt as, as renewable a friendly uh, approach as possible and to use as much renewables as they safely can. Right. So, Fintan, you're actually working with this uh, tool at National Grid. What is your um, experience so far? So, uh, at the moment, we're taking it through sort of trials and, and testing. Uh, and I think the key part of it is being able to integrate it into the control room such that the, the engineers on the desk in the control room have that real-time situational awareness of what's happening out there on the system. Uh, it enables them to make, as, as Mark said, it enables them to make better, more informed decisions about what to do on the system and also, you know, increase the levels of renewables on the system, increase the levels of efficiency that you're running the overall system while also minimizing costs. So, so you know, that real-time situational awareness is one is is a key part of enabling the control center and and the people in it and the engineers in it to make better more informed decisions that enable them to operate the system both safely and securely but also more efficiently and at a lower cost to, to ultimately to consumers which which is really important yeah for the business case uh, also um uh, gregorio um accenture has acquired a stake in uh, in this new company so you're also connected to this new tool uh, how does it help you reach your goals Yes, uh, you, we acquired, uh, let's say, we did a minority investment December 2022 in reactive technology because uh, uh, this company is fully aligned with uh, the Accenture uh, energy transition strategy. And uh, we believe uh, that, this, as, as Mark said, that this is really uh, a very innovative technology. Uh, there will be a need of this technology. So for us, in terms of energy transition, sustainability strategy was perfect fit. So we decided to do this kind of investment. And now we are co-investing together with reactive technology to even further develop uh, the current uh, cloud-based platform. 
Um, Fintan, perhaps uh, one scenario that we haven't talked about so much, but um, in this transition phase, uh, would there ever be the need of like switching off wind turbines to create that that stability? Is that a scenario that we have to look at as well? So at the moment, that's that that's what happens, right? So at the moment, in managing the system on a day-to-day basis, if we need to increase the level of of inertia on the system, we will pull back on wind turbines and we will. Uh, bring on sort of traditional conventional generators in order to ensure there's enough inertia and, and stability on the system. So in the UK, we have uh, an ambition to be able to operate the system at zero carbon by 2025. So it's only two years away. Uh, and, and in order to do that, we need to do a few things. And, and several of them actually are centered around this issue of ensuring that the system is stable and you have enough inertia. So. Uh, as I talked about earlier, we're, we're procuring inertia in other ways from other sources so that we don't have to turn off wind turbines and turn on uh, conventional generation. We can run the renewable generation in the wind turbines at, at, at full tilt at, at those times. So having that, you know, being able to source enough inertia from other sources is really important and we have a plan underway to do that. We have the measurement capability that we're bringing into the control room, so to that situational awareness by the control engineers every second of every day uh, is sufficient to ensure you know, reliability supply over the long run. We're also doing a range of things uh, around how to change the markets and our reserve and response products so that they can respond more quickly to changes in that 50 hertz that Gregory was explaining earlier. Uh, so the, the, the response and reserve product suite that we have and the markets that underpin it we're also in a process of changing all of those. So there's a real program of work to, to get to that point by 2025. And what we'll see is in 2025, for a few hours, it'll probably be August bank holiday weekend where it's kind of windy and you've a lot of wind farms, sunny, uh, uh, a lot of solar power coming on, people on holiday, so a lot of the business demand will be relatively low. And you know what we'll see in 2025 is a few hours there where there'll be actually zero grams of carbon coming on onto the system, and that will grow over time as we get more and more uh, renewables built out. The offshore wind targets that the UK has, the expansion of solar and distributed generation, those number of hours will grow and grow uh, as we go on, uh, ultimately to, to 2035, where it'll be 100% renewable 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, Mark, um, so you have Finton and Gregorio definitely in your corner when it comes to the new technology, measuring real time. Um, how is the demand in other countries? Could you tell a bit about that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, as I think I mentioned earlier, uh, the UK is, is, has really been pioneering. So National Grid um, has definitely been pioneering uh, how to address practically the net zero transition and is one of the few uh, TSOs or system operators that has got this near-term goal, um, as Finton said, in the next two years, run the power system on zero carbon generation. So that, that is a huge step forward. Um, and, and we're seeing effectively around the world every grid operator that is going on this same renewable journey are seeing similar changes in their power system, seeing stability start to drop. And really it's just a function of where they are on that journey. If they're just starting it or if they're accelerating their plans, um, they start to see these issues more quickly. And just to sort of build on an earlier point, 
the cost of renewable technology has fallen. So the levelized cost of energy for solar uh, and for wind onshore and offshore wind turbines has dropped dramatically in the last 10 years, which means that you know what National Grid have experienced, seeing a gradual change and a drop in inertia over maybe 10 or 15 years, these other grid operators may not have 10 or 15 years to at least become aware of the issue. It will happen more quickly at a greater scale and pace than, than, than others have seen. So it, 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 for us, we see it as a tool that will help uh, enable some in some parts of the world, certainly um, a faster, safer, renewable transition. So now you know what system inertia means and how we can keep the system stable. A special thank you to Mark Barrett, the co-founder of Reactive Technologies, Fintan Sly, Chief Executive Director, Electricity System Operator of National Grid, and Gregorio Ogliaro, Global Lead for Transmission and Distribution of Accenture. My name is Maria Punch. Thank you for listening to Transition Talk, a podcast series by Accenture. Also check out our other episodes about hydrogen, legislation, district heating and flexibility.